Well, this morning, um, I'm going to switch up from what I did this morning a little bit uh, and uh, tell you a little lead in here. There's this uh, guy who took his son to the ER, walked in, EMT met them, and uh, he begins to explain that his son uh, got a piece of a toy, a tire, stuck up his nose and needed it removed. They couldn't get it out. And so the EMT worked uh, feverishly and finally got it out, and, and it was very large for the boy's nose. And So anyway, they leave, and pretty soon he sees the dad and the son come back in, only he motions for him to come over into a little private area, and he begins to explain to the EMT. He said, you know, I was driving home looking at that little wheel, that little tire, but totally I'm wondering how in the world did he get that in his nose? And uh, all I got to say is at least it didn't take him long to get it out of the dad's nose. Um, <laughs> but sometimes we have to try things uh, and not just learn from others' mistakes. Uh, we try things and, and we shouldn't. You know, it's been quite a few times I've referenced uh, in Old Testament scripture about the children of Israel and uh, them being led out of captivity. And we picked that apart, and about the time I think we picked it to the bone, I, I circle back around again. And this morning we're going to spend a little bit of time in Exodus chapter 12, uh, looking at a passage of Scripture uh, that describes the beginning of the first and most important festival in the history of the Jewish people called the Passover. It's actually a week-long event, um, <clears throat> and there's, a, there's more to it than we, we think. You see... Just like the story we've already referenced, Moses goes to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no. And then the plagues come, right? And one of the last plagues, uh, one of the last plagues is that the firstborn son uh, of every person is going to uh, die in the night. And so the death angel is going to come. And so God instructs him to uh, kill the lamb, you know, spread the blood on the doorposts, and that the angel of death will pass over and not uh, kill their children, the children of Israel's firstborn. So, that's where we get the idea of the Passover. And so this is a festival, this is a meal that they prepare to um, commemorate and remember that God brought them out of Egypt, what God did to spare them from those plagues, and especially that one. Um, so from the day of Moses until today, every year Jewish God-fearing families have partaken in the Passover meal as closely as possible. Their Passover meal celebrates the love of their God who freed them from their ancestors from, freed their ancestors from slavery and who passed over their homes because they, uh, they obeyed him and putting the blood of a sacrificed lamb upon the door frames. But the Passover was only the first feast uh, in, uh, feast day in a week-long festival called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So... We've got this Passover, but then there's a Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and that's what we're going to be looking at today because this Feast of Unleavened Bread is dealing with the fact that during this time, God also told them that they weren't to eat anything with yeast in it. The leaven, nothing, no bread with yeast in it. In fact, not only were they not to eat anything with yeast in it, besides some other instructions about them how they're to eat their meat, but during this time, they were also told to get all the yeast out of their house completely. And if you were to read through Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28, you would see all the details there where it goes into about uh, even into how they were supposed to sit to eat their meal with their belt fast and their sandals on their feet and their staff in their hand and they shall eat it in haste. And um, so very specific instructions. Some of it could seem odd. Like what does this have to do with uh, the salvation of the people of Israel? You know, not eating yeast and, and uh, eating in a certain way. 
when it talks about them having their staff and their sandals, there's kind of an idea of uh, readiness there. But even more than uh, this idea of readiness while they're eating, like they're ready to leave, um, there's certain things that don't uh, belong, and yeast is mentioned as one of them, and there's certain things that don't belong in our bodies. Just like the little boy with the tire, the toy tire that didn't belong in his nose, there are certain things that don't belong in our noses, there are certain things that don't belong in our bodies, that don't belong in our minds, and that don't belong in our homes. But what intrigued me about this morning's passage was that there was precisely, uh, precisely what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was designed to teach. You see, <clears throat> what I've learned from Scripture, and God is referencing uh, himself as our Heavenly Father, is that he doesn't tell us to do things just to be telling us to do things. If you're reading anything in Scripture that doesn't seem to make sense, why would they have had to do this? There's generally a lesson behind it. Just like, you know, we teach our kids certain things. Then, then we, um, so God teaches us. When I was at the minister's convention, my boys were sitting there about to get themselves in trouble because they're getting restless at the table. And we had people I hadn't seen in a while, and missionaries coming up and talking and different things as we're sitting to eat. And... <clears throat> So I finally told boys, I said, get up. Everybody had paper plates, you know, and some people were eating and some others coming in. I said, go, go get people's paper plates and throw them away. Well, they fussed a little. They went and got a few and they come back and sit down again. I said, no, you're not done. There's still people eating. Go, go do that. Well, I really did have a purpose to it. I, 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 I was, knew that they needed something to do, but more so, you know, one thing we've really pushed our kids is I had the opportunity to interact with people at a young age um, older than me quite a bit. My dad pastored a church that was an older congregation. Uh, my parents would drop me off at the nursing home down the street and leave me um, to be entertained by the, the people staying there. And, uh, you know, that was a small town and a lot different day and time. But uh, so I, I learned to kind of get along with all different age groups and, and interact. And so I've wanted that for my kids, too, because there's a lot of benefits to life to, to being put into those social situations. Another thing, I want them to learn to serve. And I, I told them that. They kept coming back. I finally said, look, you know, Jesus taught his disciples to serve. I'm trying to teach you the same thing. I would be happy to do it. I'm busy talking, but I, I've done that before. I said, plus, you're, you're getting to know folks, and, and it doesn't hurt you to serve. And they're always talking about wanting more money. I said, that's going to take a job one day. Now you'll learn to work. Well, lo and behold, we got caught in some several conversations, and all of a sudden I noticed they weren't coming back to the table. They were just really seemed to enjoy themselves. They were serving like crazy, and they were buzzing around. Next thing you know, they had the little sister involved. You know, Lily just usually is off doing her own thing. She's, they're all around, and we're trying to leave like an hour and a half later. Then at the end, they come up and say, hey, Dad, people started tipping us. And they had like three <laughs> bucks. The motivation had changed. I'd really hoped that my little talk had really got through to them. But I still seize the opportunity. I put my arms around. I said, you know, just like a Christian with our Heavenly Father, sometimes a father asks us to do things. We don't really understand. We're not really sure what he's trying to teach us. We don't really necessarily like it at the time. But once in a while, this side of heaven, we actually get rewarded. I said, doesn't it feel good? I said, you got to know people, talk to people. And people kept coming up to Jen and I and complimenting us on boys. And, and so I said, you know, there, there's a reason Dad did that. And so... When I'm looking at this passage, I have the same kind of question in my head. What is God trying to teach? He's talking about unleavened bread, yeast. Like, did God get some yeast? You know, he made it, and after he had already said everything was good, then later he actually tasted it, and he's like, wait a minute, this stuff, ugh, I don't like yeast. No, it had nothing to do with God having something against yeast, but it was more of a symbolism that God knew how, how what yeast did, 
how it behaved, the characteristics of yeast, and he was using it for a lesson. See, the Passover symbolized the freedom of, of, that God wanted to give his people. He didn't put them in captivity. He wasn't the one causing them to sin. He wanted them to live differently, the thing that put them in captivity. And so this was a lesson. But this feast was followed by six more days that focused on the fact that God's kind of freedom required his people to remove things from their lives and their homes. And then we get into the real lesson from this yeast. See, during the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, God's people were instructed to not only not eat leavened bread during that week, but they were not uh, uh, to allow anything that had any yeast in their homes. In fact, anything that contained it. They were to search their homes for every nook and cranny and make sure there was no yeast in the home. So yeast was used by God to symbolize the power of sin. When Israel offered bread to God along with burnt offerings, that bread was to have no yeast in it. When Jesus warned his disciples against becoming like Pharisees, he told them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then the church at Corinth, a man in their congregation who was engaged in sexual immorality, Paul wrote that they should not associate with a man until he repented. And they were not even to eat with this man. And he said, if they insisted on looking the other way, is what he says, the man's sin would taint the rest of them. Don't you know, this is what he says, don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough, 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Paul's saying, if you allow sin to even exist within your house, within the church. You know, I've heard people say before, I, I wouldn't go to that church. They told someone they couldn't come there again anymore. Well, you know, there could be a bad reason. There could, I, I never, I don't want to ever hear, listen to that, because you don't know until you're there, and you don't know unless you're that pastor and what he was dealing with, because there's times things are going on that, you know, it might shock a congregation what so-and-so is doing that pastor knows and they don't know. You know, but <clears throat> in fact, there's a funny video sometime I'm going to show about a pastor that loses it over, over that kind of thing. But, um, but the, th- the idea is that if you have someone sinning amongst your midst and you don't, you turn a blind eye to it, um, you turn a blind eye to it, then, then eventually that sin will work its way into the whole group and thus infiltrate in the church. So the church is instructed to deal with those things. So as you can see, yeast was used by God to portray sin in our lives. And, and as I was preparing the sermon, I asked myself the question, why would God use yeast to symbolize sin? You know, I switched to using flatbread at Subway I liked it, you know, and I was thinking it was maybe healthier. Um, one thing is it looks smaller than the other bread, right? So I'm thinking I'm eating less. It's got to be healthier just because it's flat and the other stuff's big. But the truth of the matter is the only difference between that flat bread and the other bread is the yeast that made the flat bread puff up. I've got the same amount of dough over here as I have over there, but it, mentally I think I'm eating less. And so mentally sometimes I think I'm less full when I eat the flat, flat bread, bread over the regular. Sin acts in our lives in many ways the same way yeast works in a loaf of bread. There's a couple of aspects to yeast that really drive this home. One is bread with yeast tastes better. Now, we wouldn't really, things go in fads when it comes to looks. Now, if puffy bread was a fad, it'd eventually go away because if it didn't have a good taste, nobody, who cares if it's puffy? You just, you know, when you eat it, it gets smashed anyway. So why not have flat bread? But yeast does add flavor to it. 
And so if you've ever had the, the matzah bread, uh, the Jewish bread that has no yeast in it, it's flat, it's like eating a big cracker. There's really not a lot of taste to it. But that, that jalapeno bread down there at Subway, when they take it around the oven, tastes pretty good with the yeast in it. And so likewise, sin is the same way. We wouldn't sin if it didn't taste good, if it wasn't some way beneficial we felt to us. We, we got some enjoyment from it. Sin wouldn't even be a problem if there wasn't a good taste to it. The same thing about yeast, it doesn't take much yeast to change the shape of flour. Isn't it funny how you can work a little bit of yeast in and it just begins to expand, right? It's kind of funny, you know, if you've ever, um, I don't cook a lot anymore because Jen takes good care of me, but I used to cook because we didn't get married till I was 30, so I had to cook, but you get those can of biscuits, right? And yeah, you'd whop them on the side of the counter. Now I've seen... My wife, she you know, takes the thing and you know, carefully opens it. Because a few times I haven't paid attention, I'll whack it and the thing just you know, go everywhere. That's the power of that yeast because that dough wants to keep expanding. But it doesn't take much yeast. So similarly, sin, when it enters into an area of your life, it doesn't take much to change who you are. It doesn't change, take much to warp your character. It's amazing to me how many times I'm around someone who I've known them, I've known their walk, and I can almost sense within one conversation sometimes when something's shifted. When they've, when they've let their guard down and the enemy has begun to work in around them. And they can smile and praise God and quote a scripture and all, but it kind of goes back to that sermon series on community when I said we need to know each other well enough that if you say, how are you doing? And they say, fine. You know them well enough to say, baloney. It's, it's the same thing that it, it doesn't take much to shift. Here's a third thing about yeast. It makes the bread look like it contains more flour than it actually does. I said a little bit about that before, but it makes it look larger. Uh, it's kind of like this little boy that worked in donut, his dad's donut shop, and his dad got upset because he came in one day and all the donuts looked like they were twice as big. And he said, you're, you're spending, putting too much dough in it. That's going to cost me money. And the little boy said, no, I just let it rise longer. You know, that's what yeast does. It just makes things look bigger. And so sometimes sin gives us the illusion that we have more in our life, that we're somehow obtaining more. What we don't see on the back end is that it's really the precursor to the enemy robbing us of everything we had. You know, it it looks like if I go out and drink with the other businessmen that I'm going to get that business deal and then I'm going to gain more because we'll get a promotion, we'll get a bigger house and all that. What we don't see is that, that by our nature, maybe we have an addictive personality. And that alcohol is going to grab a hold of us. And in the end, we'll end up losing our house and losing our family because of alcohol addiction. We don't know because we begin to dabble because we let the sin in a little bit. And then it makes it look like we're going to have more in our life because of it when really it's going to tear us apart. There's... There's one thing for sure. Sin can make us believe we have more in our lives than we do. Like sin of bitterness and hatred can make us feel like we have more power over others. Or sin like hypocrisy and bigotry can make us feel more important than we actually are. Or the sin of getting drunk and getting high can fool us into thinking we've gained more control over our lives. There's also sin of pornography or lust. It can make us feel like we've got, uh, we've got more... Um, more uh, sensuality in our life or or we're more desirable when it's all a facade and sin can make us 
uh, believe that we're, we've gained more of something in our lives. But in reality, we've, all we've gained is decay and rot because the last thing about yeast is given just a little bit of time, the bread will mold and rot from the inside out. You see, one of the benefits to the unleavened bread without yeast is that it keeps a long time, like those crackers. You know, we had a chili cook-off here, and, and when we were doing this other deal, we used to do a chili cook-off, and uh, someone brought a brand-new box of salting crackers that sat up above the church refrigerator for I, guess, I don't know how long. And it was one of those times I was trying to, was trying to fast, you know, and I was just breaking down, and I was kind of hungry, and I was at the church, and I start scavenging. You know, there's got to be something. I find those crackers, and I... Oh, but I was like, oh, perfect, you know, that'll be good. Salty, it's not too much, you know, it's kind of like communion, so I'm good. I get a little grape juice, and I'm, I'm being spiritual instead of failing at my, my uh, fasting, and I pop a couple of those things out of my mouth, and I'm immediately running the bathroom. I didn't realize how bad crackers can go bad, but they can. But that had been there probably over a year, maybe a year and a half that had been up there. But you try taking a regular loaf of bread that's got yeast in it down at the local place and put it on your countertop, try leaving it more than a couple weeks. You see, you leave a loaf of bread out for too long, and what happens to it, it gets moldy, it begins to decay. In the same way, sin has the power to cause our, li- cause our lives and our homes to decay and rot. And that's why God hates sin, because it destroys us. It's just like the father that that tries to teach his boys lessons or his kids lessons. It's not because he just wants to rule and reign over them for the sake of ruling and reign over them. It's because he created them. He took part in creating them. He loves them. He wants to see them succeed and to grow and to flourish. And so God, your heavenly father, when he says, read my word, when you're talking about reading God's word, it's because the rule book there is not about the do's and don'ts just so he can be your boss. It's because it contains the things that will keep you from danger and harm in your life. And so the Israelites, keep in mind, one of the things that had happened, just like in our history and their history, they forget the things that God had done for them and they begin to drift away. And they looked to other idols or looked to other things. And so, so this Passover and this Feast of Unleavened Bread was to remind them at the, about the freedom that he had provided for them. And then for them to also remember to keep that freedom... To make sure they keep that freedom, they needed to scavenge through their house and make sure that there was no sin in it. God was literally using yeast and this Passover to be a constant ritualistic, if you will, reminder to keep clean in house. You see, we need to ask ourselves how we can create a home where our families will be safe from the destructive influences of the world around us. How can we keep the world's influence out of our homes? Well, just like if an intruder was trying to get in, you'd close the door and lock it, right? There's times we need to make sure we're not bringing things in so we don't even have to clean house. You know, when we were looking at building our home, you know, other people were talking about these different home designs and we looked at the latest ones being built, you know, and those things. And, and uh, the thing was is the kids' rooms, the other rooms were always on one side of the house by a front door and the parents' room was in the back secluded, right? Most people are like, oh, that's the way you want it. You know, kids over there, noise over there. But I'm thinking, intruder. So I'm like, no, when we designed our house, you can't get to our kids' room until you pass by my front door in my bedroom. And I keep a welcoming tool right on the nightstand just to make sure if you're there to harm my kids, you, you, you get the welcoming tool. But, <clears throat> but we are the gatekeepers of the house. And we are the ones with the keys uh, to keep uh, the, the enemy out 
We've got to make our minds that make up our minds that anything that would hurt our family shouldn't be let in the front door or the back door or through any open window. Now there's a thought pattern here that can undermine every effort you make to keep the world from influencing your family. This is something I see pretty often in families, and we don't even realize we're doing it until we're called out on it. But back in 2012, the uh, those who produced TV uh, begin to take note that, you know, I'm not one that's big on on boycotting this restaurant or boycotting this place because of their beliefs. I don't, you don't hear me say a lot about that. But in 2012, finally, uh, broadcasters, it caught their attention that when Christians decided we'd had enough and Pure Flix and all these others came out, all these other ways of watching TV for kids that was wholesome and just doing away with cable. We've been without cable for eight years, eight years, uh, or any satellite or cable or anything like that, just Netflix where we can choose and control. So they come out with this commercial in 2012 that's focused on families and we understand you want to protect your family and what they see. So if we have the ratings easily available and if you'll pay attention to the ratings of these, then you're okay. And in that commercial, they had the littlest kids where it was a, a G, a little box with a G over it. So the G rating has kids walking around. And then you had the little bit older ones that got up to the teenagers and uh, TV 14 is around their head. But then at the end of the commercial, the kids go to bed and above the parents' head was M.A. And you think about what they're trying to say to you there. They're trying to say that, hey, once the kids go to bed, we, we've made sure that we're catering to your needs. And so you're mature. We can let you watch the mature stuff that you would never let your kids watch. But that's ludicrous when you think about it. Because what you're really saying to your kids is, Hey, listen, as soon as you leave, we're going to watch stuff we'd never let you put in your mind, but we're going to watch it because we're mature. And what we're teaching them is as long as nobody sees you doing that, it's okay. As long as you're not seeing what we're watching, then it's okay because we're mom and dad. So what do you think those kids are going to do? Because there is a person that once said, kids are horrible at listening to their parents, but they're perfect at imitating them. And isn't that the truth? You know, think about how much you begin to act like your parents as you get older. So we're saying to the kids, hey, this is okay for mom and dad. So when you get older, if you make it that long without viewing this stuff, since we're setting that example, then as long as nobody sees you doing it, you're okay. We need to really think about what we're, we're saying to our kids non-verbally sometimes in the example we're setting. By giving them the impression that certain kinds of TV programs or activities or beverages or drugs or behavior, whatever, if we give them the impression impression that only grown-ups when you mature this is okay then we teach the children the lie that is that that mat what mature people do the moment we buy into the heresy of this dichotomy that our morality is somehow different than the morality we expect of them the lock on the door that we put on there to protect them is broken and the world will walk right in and the intruder is in and can do all the harm that we feared it's going to happen if we don't watch what we're doing. And that's why God didn't teach his people to remove the leaven only from their children's lives. He taught them to get those things completely out of their house. You can go back, and this lesson was taught clear back at the time of Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve, what do you, think about what the tree was called that Eve ate from, that Adam and Eve ate from. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, Right? See, God didn't want them to know what it was like to try drugs so they'd have street 
knowledge and then be able to watch out because they know what it's like. God didn't want them to, to know what sin was because then they'd be tempted to sin. The point was he told them not to eat from that tree because what Satan said is God didn't say you'd surely die, would you? He doesn't want you to be like him and know the difference between good and evil. See, God's goal is to keep you childlike. God's goal is to keep you from knowing these things because with knowledge comes the temptation. And so, you know, we've got, you know, this gets into even debates like me and my wife had about, I grew up without having the talk. She grew up with having the talk, you know, the talk. And so, you know, I'm all nervous because I didn't have the example go by, but we came to consensus we're going to have the talk. But we waited. But, you know, the only reason we did is because they were already sharing it with us stuff they had heard from other kids. And we realized at this point, the knowledge is going to be there. We might as well be the ones to shape how they hear it. But we've always tried to protect them. We don't think that they got no more to protect them. The less they know, the better. It was God's design. God taught them to get those things completely out of their house, out of every room, out of, out of their lives, everyone, every single bit of that leaven in their home, every bit of that yeast. And essentially that means that if it's bad for your kids, it's bad for you. Or as Paul said, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough, 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Now, I might get in trouble for this, but Jen, one thing I love about her is she laughs more at the kids' programs than the kids are laughing at the kids' programs. And I love that because there is innocence to my wife that drew me to her in the beginning that she, she loves the Lord and she loves those things that just make you laugh. And the kids and I are looking at her like, I didn't realize that was that funny, but now that you're laughing, it is kind of funny. All it takes is a simple opening of the door for sin to enter your home and it will affect the lives of everyone you love. That's what God is teaching us here. And there's something else I believe God's teaching us here. As I thought about this passage in Exodus 12, I noticed something intriguing. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was only done once a year. What else reminded me of this? Well, it, this was probably around April of a year. And around April of a year, what happens? Spring cleaning, right? Now, here's something neat. Okay, unless you have a problem like hoarding, which we've had some in our relatives, so I know all about what that looks like. But, you know, every once in a while we'll go to these garage sales. Arkansas is famous for that. You know, you, you advertise it for seven. People are there at six because you don't want to miss other people's junk. And so you'll buy a bunch of stuff, and, you know, you'll start putting it over in the side of the garage and then here and there in this closet. Next thing you know, you have a bunch of things you thought you needed and you wanted, and now you've got to have a garage sale to get rid of that junk, Right. And so you do the spring cleaning, and now we're going to have a garage sale, and all of you are going to get to benefit, getting rid of your stuff, right, for, for missions. But the idea is, is, you know that euphoric feeling you have when you finished, and it's all clean and straightened? Where did that come from? Why isn't hoarding what we really desire for everyone? Why isn't that normal? You've got lots of stuff. It's somewhere there. You may not know exactly where it's at, but you've got it, right? The more stuff, the better. Why not? So I believe that these things that God's teaching us, I mean, he's designed us to want to clean house. He's designed us to, you know, when we've, we've had enough, to finally say, look, this stuff is clouding my area. It's causing me problems. It's worthless. It's not adding to my life. And anything It's taken away from it, I'm getting rid of it. And so he's teaching them to get rid of all these things in their life, the sin that could separate them from God and end them back up in captivity just like they were before. And if you don't do spring cleaning once in a while, then you become a hoarder eventually. They remove the living from their homes ru roughly in the month of April, which is about the time we do spring cleaning. 
Practically everybody does an occasional spring cleaning in their homes. But it's the same way with the worldly influences. In spite of our best efforts, some of the world's R-rated thinking and morality can slip into our homes, either by the influences of our, that our children encounter or by things our spouses or our, ourselves bring into the home. In the Jewish society, to prepare for the Passover, the family spends entire weeks scouring the house for any and every crumb of yeast they can find. Do we put that kind of effort into scouring our lives and our homes and our kids' lives to make sure that we've kept everything displeasing God out? In other words, they weren't just getting rid of the yeast that happened to be laying on the floor. They had to look in every nook and cranny. And that's what we need to do with our homes that magazine that's been laying around that we really don't look at, but the fact that's there. I remember back in the 80s, they used to do record burnings, you know, when they had records. And, and so they, they go and have a big bonfire and they burn all the non-Christian records, right? But let me tell you something. There's something I've not hit on here that probably gets missed a lot of times in messages like this, and it's not just the things that are just blatantly not godly. We are living in a culture right now where if it, if it mentions Jesus, it's probably okay. And we've been doing that for several decades as parents. I remember that I would listen to music and it wouldn't it would sound like the world, but if I could hear it say Jesus in there, then I'd just go to mom and dad and say, it says Jesus is Christian. Oh, okay. We've got to be careful with that. I'll tell you, there's a new age movement right now that's bringing mysticism in with Christianity, with evangelicals. There's a conference going to be going on in a month in this area that I'm going to tell you that I pray that no one who is a Bible-believing Christian goes to because they're teaching things that are, are Eastern mysticism, trying to mix it with Christianity. Some of them preaching there's no, there's no eternity after this, that we are, that we are um, Jesus incarnate, and all kinds of stuff. They're taking the Word of God and just, just twisting it. We have to be careful about even the stuff we say is Christian, bringing our home, books, the sweeping fads around revivals, Back in the uh, 90s, there was a revival that happened, and in, in, uh, in, in, I won't even go into where, but I'll just tell you that there was things happening that didn't line up with God's Word. Now, I'm Pentecostal. I, I believe in being baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking tongues, but there was things going on that didn't line up with Scripture. And you know what? That thing fell apart because it was focused on the feelings and the experience and it didn't matter whether it lined up with the Word of God as long as you said that God was doing it. Everybody's like, oh, you can't question it. And you would, you would get uh, labeled as a Pharisee if you even tried to question what was going on there. There's things going on right now uh, in the large uh, Christian circles and, and uh, large crusades that if anybody was to question whether that man of God may be teaching something other than gospel, then people just gasp and just say that you're a hater. We have to be careful of those things we bring under our homes. In closing, I want to just rem have you remember from this sermon that there are certain false concepts that can undermine your efforts to protect your family. And two of these we've already covered. The, the first concept is that you, as an adult, can have a different morality than your children. And the second is that the belief that a little bit of sin won't make any difference. But then there's another one. The last is that simply removing sinful influences from your home will protect your family. You see, the danger here is to take this message and for you to run with it thinking, if I go home and clean up all my stuff, I get rid of anything that could be separating from God, then, then I'm just gonna, it's going to save my family. You see, this Passover, this Feast of Unleavened Bread, it wasn't what saved them, 
it's to remind them that God had already saved them out of captivity and to remind them that to stay out of captivity, they need to keep their homes cleaned up. So you can't leave here today if you haven't, if you haven't truly, truly uh, been set free by being a Christ follower, by making him Lord of your life. You can't leave here and go home and just throw away anything unwholesome and try to clean your house of anything that could be sinful and think somehow now God has saved you. That was a mistake that many of the children of Israel made over and over too. Too often people will say that they don't want to become Christians until they clean out their lives. And that is one of the issues the devil uses to try to hold them back. I hear it pretty often. I hear people who have been ministers before who have fallen away and will say, as soon as I can quit doing this, then I'll come back to the Lord. I tell them, as soon as you're willing to surrender to the Lord, he'll help you quit doing that. It's an illustration I used over a, a month or so ago in a, at the end of a sermon I'll use again today that I heard from another minister. And, and a lot of us, you know, we have, if our house is a mess and someone, a friend of ours comes and we're not expecting them, they knock on the door, ring the doorbell, we panic, right? I've got to hurry and clean. Or we've got that, you know, guest uh, little reception area, you know, if you have a house that has an extra room. I can't remember what they used to call it, the, 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 not the dining room, but anyway, it was the, the where you welcome people. But you're just praying, please don't have to go to the restroom because I don't want you to see the rest of the house, right? So you're closing bedroom doors and all that. And many times as Christians, we're doing the same thing. You know, Jesus says he's standing at the door and knocking, wanting to come in. But we're worried about the mess, and so we want to get it clean before he comes in. And we're frantically going around trying to close bedroom doors, and we're stuffing all of our sin underneath the rug, and we're doing everything we can to make it look uh, uh, good. And then we stop and think, maybe I should just look out and make sure, is that Jesus? And we look out, and he's standing there with a dustpan, and a broom, and cleaning supplies. Say, so if you let me in, I could help you with that. We can't do it without him. We can't get it backwards. You've got to make the decision finally. Are you going to give a chance to experience him, a real relationship with him, and then see what he does with your life? It's not the other way around. You can't straighten your life out yourself. I've tried it. Too many times, even as a pastor's kid, everybody thinking everything's good on the outside. I've tried to clean up my life, and every time I end up back in a mess. It wasn't until I finally got to the lowest point, I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I don't want my legacy to be about every time I mess up. Everybody knows, and it's just ruining my life. I want you to finally help me clean this house up. And God started blessing after that. I started hearing his voice more clearly. He started moving and really shaking my life to the core for the good. So let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you for this message today that, God, you are at work in our midst. And, God, most of us here, maybe all of us are, are committed believers. So it's easy for us to just go along thinking, hey, I'm not doing any of the major sins, so I'm, I'm good. But we've started to let things creep in. We've we've left the door unlocked and, and now intruders are beginning to slip in and Lord we're doing things maybe different than our, we'd expect of our children and hoping that they just do it right when they're older help us to clean house with, everybody, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed I just want to ask if there's someone here that Either you've walked away from God, you made a decision before, or, or maybe this first time you will make a decision to follow Jesus. And 
make him Lord of your life. Don't wait to try to figure out when you're going to be cleaned up enough. It doesn't work that way. Let him be Lord of your life and he'll begin to do a new work in you. You'll be a new creation. If you're here, I just want to pray for you. If you want to slip your hand up and back down, I want to pray for you. down. Praise God. Why don't you just pray this prayer with me and, and trust me, these aren't the words that has to be said. This isn't written in scripture. You have to say it this way, but if, if you'll pray in your own words a prayer similar to what I'm about to pray and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life today and you are a new creation. Pray this with me. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm ready to surrender all. I may be scared about what that means from this point forward, but I don't want to try to do it on my own anymore. I love you, Jesus, and I'm ready to begin this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, I also pray for the believers here that have identified those things that have crept in. And Lord, I just pray this week that they will uh, do a spiritual house cleaning, that in their prayer time, God, they will search their hearts and let your Holy Spirit illuminate those things that need to leave their, their homes, both those physical things that are, that are tangible, they can see, and Lord, those things that are, that are down deep in their heart that need to be extricated, Lord, by, by your power. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you've uh, made a decision either first time for, to follow Christ today or uh, rededicate your life, if you've not been baptized and you want to be baptized in water, we'd love to, we'd love to celebrate with you and do that. Um, it's something Jesus commanded us to do because it's where we identify with his death, burial, and resurrection, that we go down an old creation and come up anew. It's just symbolic of the decision you made today. So if you'd like to do that, just see me after service and we'll make sure we get a time set up and a, a date for that where you can have family here. Love y'all. See you Wednesday night at 6.30 for more of worship and God's word.